I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing India's views of China and the potential for conflict, with a special focus of ongoing tensions on the China-India border. In recent years, China-India tensions have flared in response to developments on the China-India border, which is the world's longest contested border. In 2017, Indian and Chinese forces engaged in a months-long standoff near the tri-junction border with Bhutan. In 2020, Indian and Chinese forces engaged in hand-to-hand combat in the Galvan Valley, leaving 20 Indians and at least four Chinese troops dead. These border tensions have become the most fraught aspect of the larger strategic competition between the world's two most populous countries. Joining us today to discuss these issues is Dr. Rajeshwari Rajagopalan. Dr. Rajagopalan is the director of the Center for Security, Strategy, and Technology at the Observer Research Foundation in New Delhi. She previously served as a technical advisor to the UN Group of Governmental Experts on Prevention of an Arms Race in Outer Space. She was also a non-resident Indo-Pacific Fellow at the Perth U.S. Asia Center. She writes a weekly column on Asian strategic issues as a senior Asia defense writer for the Diplomat. Raji, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Bonnie. This is absolute pleasure to be here. Raji, I'd like to start with the most basic and fundamental question: How does India view China, broadly speaking? That's a great question to start with, and because on the one hand, India has deep appreciation of China's economic development. Even possibly looks at it as a model for India for its own growth because both started out with somebody somewhat roughly the same kind of developmental road, somewhat of a socialist orientation towards which had a state-directed economic growth approach in a sense. So both started with that kind of a basic understanding, but China has grown enormously over the last couple of decades. In some sense, one can say that it's a grudging appreciation for what China has done. So India also hopes to propel economic growth for its overall growth, its standing in the Asian community, and so on and so forth. There is also a deeper strategic cultural affinity of anti-Westernism. Both are, of course, post-colonial societies. So, in fact, that became the general basis of Nehru's approach towards China for much of the initial years. So, to some extent, there is some sympathy towards China based on these sentiments. But the 1962 war has also had a big impact on India. But the, nevertheless, I think the effort, even by the late 1960s, for instance, despite the war, India was trying to normalize relations with China. But of course, that took much longer. In the 1980s, you had Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi going to、um, Beijing, which kind of normalized the relationship. So there has always been an effort to rebuild or normalize the relations with China. So that's been an effort that's been ongoing. Post Cold War scenario, India saw China as a compatriot in dealing with the U.S. So India joined groups like、uh, Russia, India, China grouping, the BRICS, the Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa grouping. So some of these sentiments, even now, I would say that still exists. India does not want to completely give up on China. So even after the Doklam crisis that happened at the tri-junction between India and Bhutan and China in 2017. India went about with two、uh, informal summits with China. So one meeting happened in Wuhan, and a second meeting happened in southern India in Chennai. These efforts were to bring about some sort of stability、uh, in the bilateral relationship. 
But there is also the elite perception that keeps emphasizing on strategic autonomy, which again, again, requires some sort of accommodation or having a balanced relationship with China. So, but as in the 1950s, this requires China to be willing as well, a willing player to accommodate India's own sensitivities and so on and so forth. So the key problem has been that China does not appear to be willing to have that kind of a relationship with India. It seems to look at India as an adversary, which limits, in a sense, how stable the relationship can be. Even after the 2020 Galvin crisis, which we are not out of as yet, we continue to say that the stable relationship would require the current crisis to be resolved, which suggests that if we are able to resolve the current crisis, we can go back to pre, um, sort of a pre-Galvin crisis, like March 2020, how it was and so on and so forth. So there is that effort to balance, uh, sort of a, uh, normalize the relationship between India and China. So despite these crises that have happened more often in recent times, effort to kind of normalize and bring some sort of stability in the relationship is something very prevalent in the policy uh, policy making uh, on China. So India's view is that it wants to have stable relations with China and not burn all its bridges with China. But the main critical point is that it requires China to be accommodative as well. And that is not something that we see playing out at least in the last several years. From your perspective, what are the key factors that have shaped the India-China relationship? And what are the sources of tension in the relationship? So uh, let me start by looking at as to how India did look at China and what are the key factors that possibly shaped the India-China relations for much of the period. Because the tensions are, even though it's been simmering for a while, it's become much more pronounced in recent years. But I think there has been an Indian desire, for instance, for a very long time to have a major trade and investment relationship with China. Uh, For one, because India is in need of significant investment flow. So China was becoming a favorable investment partner, besides trade, of course, which is about 100 billion now. And we grew from something like 2 to $3 billion in the beginning of 2000. We reached that $100 billion mark. So there was a firm belief that if the two countries invested in significant economic and trade relations, uh, it would remove a major incentive or a potential for any conflict between India and China. So, But the reality has been that while trade brought about a certain amount of prosperity to certain constituencies that are engaged in trade and investment between the two countries, it did not alter the basic nature of interstate relations between the two countries. During the period when trade has gone up between the two, there has also been an increase in the competition and rivalry. And of course, the potential for conflict has also remained significantly high. But to look at the tension and why, what is kind of driving the tensions between the two countries, of course, in the, in the 1950s, China saw India as a possible peer because India was touted as such. But more in more recent times, it is India's own problems. In a sense, for first and foremost, I think the border and territorial issues, probably the most important live issue that is there at the, uh, at the center of the tensions between India and China. And the increasing disparity between the two sides is also a source of tension. Again, India's insecurities vis-a-vis China when it comes to, especially in the military domain, and how it plays out in the term, in terms of the balance of forces on the border. These are important discrepancies that kind of become an important source of conflict. 
and insecurity for India primarily. And that leads India to do certain steps and which again, I'll come to it in a, in maybe in a bit. But uh, the economic capacity is also an important aspect that is driving the uh, sort of uh, conflict, the tensions between the two countries because China's deep pockets have meant that it is able to influence developments in India's own neighborhood in South Asia, whether it is uh, China in Pakistan, China in Sri Lanka, China in Nepal, all of this, the Chinese economic capacity has made a huge difference and how they are able to deliver on certain things, their capacity to deliver the projects on time, their capacity to invest uh, in a big way on various uh, infrastructure and connectivity projects. All of these have become sources of conflict or tension between the two countries. So that's, again, something that is going to continue going into the future as well. Similarly, China's effort at balancing India and South Asia, especially with Pakistan. But in more recent times, we have seen this play in the case of China and Sri Lanka relations. China's significant investment in ports, uh, for instance, the Hambantota port, and how it sort of led to the a sort of a debt trap diplomacy situation where Sri Lanka had to write off uh, the Hambantota port on at least for 99 years, or China's investment in the Colombo port, all of this, in a sense, is driving the Indian insecurities. And similarly, of course, China's lack of sensitivity with a range of, uh, with regard to India's security interests. And this can be seen in, in its relations with Pakistan, its Belt and Road Initiative, particularly the uh, China-Pakistan Economic Corridor, which did raise a lot of heckles in India because it was, in a sense, uh, it amounted to a territorial violation, integrity of the uh, integrity of India because of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. China's less than supportive role on India's energy membership case in 2016, and so on, so on, and more recently, China and Sri Lanka. So all of this is, in a sense, forcing India to take uh, counteraction so this is driving India towards the U.S. to build a closer partnership with the U.S. and other strategic partners in the region, whether it is Japan, Australia. And that, in turn, is giving way to more insecurities on the, uh, for China. So it's become a sort of a, you know, a, a cyclical process, in a sense. India's actions counter uh, sort of uh, China's actions, India's response to that. And there are uh, further um, reactions from China and so on and so forth. So all of this is, in a sense, become a major sources of conflict between India and China. The Galvin crisis, particular colonel who was where uh, at the Olympics, his role at the Olympics did pick up some momentum. But I think uh, it did. Uh, we did take some time. So we Indian officials uh, did not take part in the participate in the opening and close. Are not going to be. It's not going to be sort of participating in the closing ceremony of the Winter Olympics. So it did lead to some reaction, but not exactly, because if you look at the few months ago, we had the uh, RIC meeting, uh, the Russia-India-China meeting, where India said that we would, it would be sending its uh, sports persons for the Winter Olympics. So in a sense, India is still trying to make efforts at appeasing China in some way, in an effort to normalize the relationship between India and China. So India might respond in, on certain things, but I think overall the sense that I get is that we, we want to normalize the relationship. So don't want to kind of sort of uh, completely abandon the China relationship. So how do you rebuild confidence in each other and so on and so forth? I think so that is still playing out, even as there are other sources of conflict and sources of tension, which are pushing India to build certain relationships uh, like the US, China, um, sort of Japan and Australia. India's major um, effort is also at rebuilding and sort of normalizing the relationship with China. 
Thank you, Raji. So from your perspective, what do you think India believes are China's strategic objectives? And are these Chinese objectives in conflict with India's? That's a very interesting question. We all make our own assessments about what China is trying to do. The more prevalent sense is that China wants to dominate, of course, Asia and possibly the rest of the world. The first part conflicts with India's own objectives of not wanting to see a hegemonic Asia. But even there, I think there is still some hope in India, at least in certain quarters, that India and China can work out some sort of an arrangement on these issues as well, so that there is no conflict between the two. But that space for accommodation is thinning out very fast. Uh, because what kind of space is China willing to give India? I think that's an important question that kind of keeps coming back because India does not seem to be as concerned with the overall balance of power and Asian hegemony issue. There, it, it's still in, there are statements that in, uh, uh, if you look at Indian statements from the foreign minister, prime minister, we have talked about it. But the bigger concern for India, it seems like the balance of forces on the border. And so uh, I think that's the bigger concern. So uh, the Asian hegemony are strengthening um, um, uh, some of the efforts. If you look at China, on the part of India, it has joined RIC, which is the Russia-India-China grouping, SEO Shanghai Cooperation Organization. We have joined, we are part of the BRICS Development Bank. We are also part of the Asian in Infrastructure Investment Bank and so on and so forth. Many platforms that actually empower or strengthen the Chinese overall power in a sense. So in a, it seems that India is not entirely clear as to, uh, at least it does not make it very clear by through its actions, that it is concerned about the overall balance of power and Asian hegemony, but it's, it's more concerned about the balance of forces on the border. But having said that, let me also spell out as to what some of the Indian statements have been when it comes to, for one, it says that India clearly does not want to see a, a sort of, India wants a non-hegemonic Asia. In other words, it wants an Asia that is not dominated by one single power. And I think that when it says, uh, even though it does not take the name of China, it is very clear when Foreign Secretary, uh, then Foreign Secretary and Jayashankar talked about these things as to who you are talking about. And thereafter, India goes on to say that India is always worked for and will continue to make efforts at uh, developing a multipolar world, a multipolar Asia, and so on and so forth. Again, I think the uh, meaning of all of this is very, very clear. India does not want an Asia that is dominated by China, uh, considering that no other power in the region can make such a claim of dominating the region. Second uh, objective, which again goes against uh, that of China's own goals, is that India wants a rules-based order. And it, this has again been repeatedly talked about by the senior Indian leadership. And India, in fact, has taken an unusually strong stand, for instance, on the South China Sea issue, uh, considering that it relates to a, it's a it's a dispute far from Indian shores, but nevertheless, India has taken a relatively stronger stand on the South China Sea issue because it believes in the rules-based order. And this is not just a sort of a talk, but for instance, India uh, settled a maritime dispute with Bangladesh a few years ago, even though the ruling from the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, was in favor of Bangladesh, but India respected that verdict and gave away the territory that's it. So managed to resolve that issue with Bangladesh. So it's not for the sake of, it's not just a rhetoric, but it is something that India has believed in and wants to see that any Asia is respectful of rules-based order and that placed by the international rules of the game. So I think these are something that India is very 
strongly taken a position on, but this is something that will always be in sort of a in clash with China's goals and objectives in the region and beyond. Great, thank you. I want to now move the discussion to focus on border and maritime tensions. As you know, between 1962 and 2017, the China-India border issue was relatively manageable and relatively stable. How have the Doklam standoff and the Galvin Valley skirmish changed Indian thinking and strategy towards China? So,、uh, for about、uh, close to five decades now. Both India and China have taken pride in the fact that there have been no fatalities or even casualties on the line of actual control, and there has been peace and tranquility to a large extent, despite occasional flare-ups. Even, for instance, the Oklam crisis in 2017 did not result in any casualty, but it's now more、uh, close to two years since the Indian and Chinese military forces clashed at Galvin in Ladakh on the western sector of the Sino-Indian border. Which included the killing of 20 Indian soldiers and unconfirmed number on the Chinese side as well. In a sense, Galvin conflict broke several records. Shots have been fired. There have been casualties on the border, so on and so forth. Therefore, it is difficult to imagine that will be business as usual after the current clash in Galvin is over. In fact, Ashwetel is summed it so eloquently when he said, "Sino-Indian relations can never go back to the old normal." They will reset with greater competitiveness and in ways that neither country had actually intended at the beginning of the crisis. So I think I think that really sums up whether it was completely accidental or this was a planned attack or not. The way it's、um, just panned out and the way it has resulted in various casualties, shots being fired on the border. This has done a lot of damage to the relationship. The Galvin clash essentially means that India cannot afford to continue. It's ambivalent, uncommitted foreign policy approach anymore, which is generally characterized hedging.、Uh, now, I think India has to move away from this past efforts at straddling multiple camps. We put our foot in non-alignment camp. We put our foot in Quad, Brics, RIC, and so on and so forth. I don't think that strategy is going to be working anymore. But I think there is a larger sense that the Galvin clash has been a game changer for at least as far as India's. View of China, so there is a pre and post Galvin moment in India's foreign and security engagements.、Uh, in the post Galvin Indian foreign and security policies, I think India is more antagonistic towards China, willing to create as well as nurture several Indo-Pacific partnerships, including several many trilateral partnerships involving partners such as Australia, Japan, France, or groupings like the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue Quad and other multilaterals in the region. India is also taking several proactive steps in nurturing strategic groupings,、uh, sort of in something that goes beyond the COVID,、uh, beyond the Quad, for instance, the Quad Plus. This has come about, of course, in the COVID context, and、uh, not sure what shape it might eventually take in the post-COVID scenario. But there is a reasonable confidence that this might,、uh, this could result in something. More strategic in the coming years because、uh, the three countries that have come to be part of the COVID plus、um, the Squad Plus engagement, that is New Zealand, South Korea, and Vietnam, all of these three countries have also been dealing with increasingly Chinese aggressive behavior. So in a sense, the Squad Plus grouping, all of them have had to confront with significant belligerent behavior from China. So this is that still becomes a common. Strategic goal to work with, and so on and so forth. So that is something that can still happen. But like I said in the beginning, 
there is some hesitancy or I would say tendency to develop normal relations with China, at least on the bilateral side of things. But it's unlikely that it will lead to a sort of a go back to a Wuhan moment. That is the Wuhan informal summit that happened following the Doklam crisis. I don't think, uh, because many at that point of time believed that Doklam was more of an aberration and that it was an accident that resulted in that particular uh, conflict and that uh, relations between India and China can be rebuilt with greater sense of purpose and confidence. But I think the Galvin clash has been a lot more damaging, a lot more damaging possibly than even the 1962 war because both countries had built the relationship on a fairly strong footing on economic trade and other engagements. So coming in the backdrop of such positivity for quite a few decades now, this has meant a huge blow to the India-China relation. So it's going to be very difficult to rebuild that relationship. But I think some of the big changes that I see are in terms of the elite perceptions within the country. The elite opinion in the country about China, uh, for instance, a number of moderate voices have supported, for instance, uh, closer um, engagement with China and so on and so forth. But I think post-Galvin conflict, uh, they believe that China's, uh, the threat that China presents is a lot more serious and it needs, uh, it needs to have some sort of a military option if we were to restore the status quo pre-Galvin clash sort of thing. And I think there is there's a broader sense that India's deterrence appears to be not working and therefore, we need to look at other options uh, because the Chinese, uh, this particular attempt at the Galvin conflict is also seen as not just limited to India. It's seen as even more a part of a broader Chinese behavior, not just vis-a-vis India, but with other countries and other people as well. So there is a broad sense that this is a larger behavioral issue on the part of China, which means, uh, which it requires India to undertake a fresh fundamental reassessment of its China policy, making changes in it, and then implement at the earliest. Uh, there, there are also calls for militarizing the court, for instance, as an important way to kind of deter possibly Chinese behavior, uh, which has been particularly troubling. But what is particularly important in these elite voices is that these are folks who have worked in the Indian Foreign Service or senior officials in the Indian Army, they have always supported stronger, mutually beneficial, and even if clear-eyed relations with China. But today, much like the Sino-Indian War of 1962, there are fundamental questions being raised about in New Delhi about India's China policy. So there is a, because the kind of stability and predictability that prevailed on the Sino-Indian border is kind of gone. Uh, It has become like the line of actual control between India and a line of actual control between between India and Pakistan. So therefore, there is a sense that this has been a lot more damaging. China, it's not the same China that you're dealing with. It's become a much more powerful uh, state. And as it becomes even stronger, you are going to see more and more uh, belligerent behavior. So there needs to be both in terms of India has to prepare uh, in terms of both diplomatic maneuvering, so building up and nurturing certain uh, strategic partnership, but also build up its own defensive capability to uh, deal with any contingency that may happen on the border or elsewhere. Thank you, Raji. Two follow-up questions. First, have you seen much changes on the ground in India militarily on the India-China border? The second question is related to economics. You mentioned that India has become more concerned with China's growing economic power. Have Indian concerns about China's economic power been heightened after the Galvin Valley crisis? 
So on the border, India has had to uh, make some changes um, uh, as far as military options are concerned. And primarily because India, when it looked at the China problem, China threat, it was primarily looking at major sort of a territorial uh, attack from China, not a sort of a salami slicing tactics, which now India is increasingly confronting with on different points along the entire Sino-Indian border. So India's approach was always to avert a major attack, territorial grabbing uh, attack from China. But today, what you are increasingly witnessing is in uh, by inch by inch, China is trying to sort of uh, take control of the in, uh, Indian position along the entire LAs. And of course, India has had to divert much of the some of the military forces away from the India-Pakistan border towards China. Uh, given that we have been now engaged for close to two years. And uh, there does not seem to be any letdown at this point. There are something that is something like fifty to sixty thousand troops on each side. So something like hundred twenty thousand troops on each, uh, on the border between the two sides. I think that's a very sort of a, it can lead to a lot of accidental um, scenarios. Possible conflicts can erupt because of accidents. Because um, uh, you know troops having a, being on an eyeball to eyeball situation is never a stable one. Um, it, there are a lot of uncertainties uh, uh, that can come from that. So India is mindful of those um, uh, those issues, but at the same time, given that any number of diplomatic as well as military talks between the two sides have not led to uh, any compromise or any uh, resolution of the current, Galvin con- current conflict um, that uh, that is unleashed after the Galvin Cal clash in April 2020. On the economic front, surprisingly, the India-China trade has continued to grow. In fact, during the period over the last two years, that close to two years that the two China forces have been engaged in Galvin. Uh, in fact, the, uh, even though there have been several infrastructure connectivity projects in India, uh, by China have been the Chinese companies have been cancelled uh, right after the Galvin clash started. But uh, overall, in terms of the trade, uh, I think the numbers are still pretty high, um, crossing 100 billion uh, in own over and 100 billion dollars in overall trade between the two sides is something that is still high. Although the trade is, of course, in favor of uh, the balance, it's, balance of trade is always in favor of China. There have been some efforts to diversify and move away from China, but I think given the kind of large dependency that we have seen, it's been difficult. It's not been an easy process, especially because it's going to hurt India, at least in the initial years. But like I said, the elite opinion in India, you have voiced concerns even on this particular issue to say that even if India were to be hurt economically in the initial years, India must go through that pain to diversify from China so that the calls for diversification is very, very loud, but it's not it's not something that, that is going to be very easy for the Indian government to do it. Raji, I also want to look at the maritime side. We know that China is becoming more active in the Indian Ocean. What concerns India the most with respect to Chinese activities there? And is India as concerned with Chinese maritime activities as it is with Chinese activities on the land border? India has important stakes in, in the Indian Ocean region. I would say that this is despite the lack of uh, Indian attention on the maritime front, given that we have had to confront both China and Pakistan predominantly on the land border, the focus, especially in terms of the uh, defense capability buildup, 
and the training and all of that has been primarily in terms of the uh, Indian Army. And therefore, there has been a big land base, a land focus and the army focus in India's overall approach. But I think there has been, because overall in, in the last few decades, India has had to deal with some some of the non-traditional threats like privacy and some bit of maritime terrorism. While that may continue to exist and that may be the case, now in more recent times, these have been overtaken by uh, about what China can do and how China is potentially emerging as an Indian Ocean power with a growing footprint in the region. China's goals, of course, its growing presence is just not about contesting India's strategic role in the uh, Indian Ocean region. But it's seen as being part of a larger firm agenda to emerge as a key player in the Indian Ocean. Again, that will feed some into the larger push to become a global maritime power. So given that PLA Navy has also been growing pretty rapidly in recent times, again, they have had a land-based focus and therefore the PLA maritime uh, naval and air uh, capabilities were somewhat neglected in the initial decades. But that's something that China is rectifying at a fairly um, uh, quick pace. So China's Navy is of uh, the growing, its growing strength is of enormous concern because it just begins to feel that it is a formidable force to be uh, to reckon with. And this is, of course, complemented by China's growing maritime con- uh, ties with the Indian Ocean region countries and its, its increasing naval presence in the region. But the among the several Indian uh, security concerns about China in the Indian Ocean, one is already playing out. It's very live. That is the Chinese activities in India's exclusive economic zone, the EZ. And this is something that the Indian senior Indian leadership, Navy leadership, have talked about, including the chiefs who have stated that both Chinese research vessels as well as fishing boats are repeatedly seen in the Indian Ocean, including in the Indian economic exclusive economic zone. And even in the middle of this particular conflict, Galvan conflict in August 2020, China had sent its uh, Yuan Wang research vessel into the Indian Ocean. And... These are, of course, used for surveying various parameters, including oceanic currents, salinity, as well as mapping the ocean floor, which could be useful to the PLA Navy in engaging in submarine operations in the Indian Ocean region. So this is of, uh, something that is very, very uh, concerning to India. But there is a slightly longer term and uh, more serious concern that is emerging, which is the, uh, that is the likelihood of much expanded Chinese naval presence in the Indian Ocean. Uh, like all other major economies, of course, the Indian Ocean is important to China as well because they are used for uh, as a corridor, straight corridor, but also for transporting energy resources and so on and so forth. Um, so in a sense, China's interest in wanting to protect these clocks, uh, lines of communication or measures to secure its interests are very clear and, of course, understandable. But given the adversarial nature of its ties between India and China, an expanded Chinese naval presence is likely to become a bigger and a more direct threat to India. Now, the threat also comes from the fact that India has capacity limitations on this front, unlike the land border, which India has been used to and has built a large ground force to deal with this particular threat. But a threat on the maritime front is a relatively new one, especially coming from China, and uh, it has, of course, complicated India's own security calculations in a sense. Raji, thank you very much for the comprehensive assessment of Indian perceptions of Chinese activities on its land border, but also on the maritime front. Let's now look at the larger picture, and specifically how India views its relationship with China. 
given its other bilateral relationships, including that with Russia. As you know, India has historically cooperated closely with Russia, at times to specifically balance against China. In recent years, the India-Russia relationship has come under stress as Russia aligns itself closer to China and India has moved closer to the Quad. How concerned is India of China's growing ties to Russia? Yeah, terrific question on the Russia front because that's been a big puzzle even for India. And I think there is a narrative that is developing in India as to how Russia is complicating India's foreign and security uh, policy calculations. Because uh, I think, uh, yeah, like you said, historically, India has had very close relations with Russia, especially on the defense trade. India has bought several uh, defense platforms from uh, Russia. The fact that Russia continues to lease uh, its nuclear submarines to India is a very big incentive for India to continue nurturing that relationship. Despite the fact that the Russia-China relationship has become very close, it's become very strategic. So does it still serve Indian interests to continue building and depending on Russia when it comes to critical national security defense items, for instance, does that really make sense from a purely national security perspective? And I think this is something that I have enormous trouble in coming to terms with because it doesn't seem like India is completely in, uh, in acknowledging the fact that there are the Russia-China relationship was always seen as an important one uh, that, that it's a growing partnership. But I think sometime after the Ukraine, the last Ukraine crisis in 2014, since then, that particular relationship has grown enormously to become much more, more strategic in nature. It was no more just a tactical relationship that was that had an anti-US or anti-West agenda or develop, uh, building a multipolar world order and so on and so forth. It had become much more strategic in nature. And because, I, and I would say this is important for India to consider since 2014, because when India, uh, when Putin went to uh, travel to Beijing in 2014, he made pledges to, and here since then, here uh, the Russia has supplied China with advanced weaponry, advanced weapon platforms, whether it is the advanced kilo-class submarines, strengthening um, China's uh, maritime front, naval front or uh, other capabilities, for instance, the air power capabilities, uh, supplying them with Su-35, because India has procured Su-30 MKI, and we have deployed it on primarily on the Sino-Indian border. And for a long time, Russia used to be very sensitive about India's concern and uh, would, not have, would not transfer most advanced weapon platforms to China. And this is something that China has always criticized or complained about, saying that Russia gives the best technology to India and that Russia always also engages in technology transfer with India, but not with China. But I think that dynamics has changed. And at least the, these two particular cases, the sale of Su-35, much better, much advanced platform to China, or even the kilo-class submarines, all of this is changing the balance of military power between India and China, putting uh, favorably towards China. So I think to me, from a national security perspective, Russia is no more a sort of a dependable partner that India used to rely on. But I think it's become part of the problem. And I, I, I can understand that Russia has its own compulsions because they feel isolated from, uh, from the West, any number of sanctions and so on and so forth. 
have pushed Russia towards China because they feel that they need a strong voice and that strong voice comes from China. But for India, China is a problem. Russia is, uh, and Russia cannot, does not seem to be understanding that dynamics in a sense. And therefore, there are serious problems. And over the last year in particular, or year and a half, we have seen a number of statements and India's uh, response, which have been particularly harsh. For instance, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov talked about as to how India is being sort of uh, getting so close to the US and getting into groupings like the Quad and endorsing Indo-Pacific strategy as a way to target China and so on and so forth. And India, uh, in an uncharacteristic manner, the Indian Ministry of External Affairs came out with a strong response saying that India has its own partners and uh, strategies. India does not get swayed one way or the other. It is India's own national interests that drive these kind of partnerships and its different strategies. And I think there have been any number of such kind of statements back and forth between India and Russia in recent time, recent years, over the last year and a year and a half. And in some sense, Putin traveled to India for the bilateral summit between India and Russia. That was done, I think, to a large extent to repair some of the, um, some of the damages that have been done in the India-Russia relationship. But uh, to me, uh, sort of the growing Russia partnership, especially reading the joint statement between uh, Xi Jinping and uh, Putin during the uh, this last week's uh, visit is something very, very puzzling. There is no limit to that particular partnership, their friendship, and so on and so forth. And I think India needs to be more mindful of uh, what India is getting into, whether Russia can be an effective partner in building up its partnership. Many in the Indian establishment keep arguing that uh, one, they tend to look at India, Russia from a very historic perspective, historic or some sort of an emotional perspective. And that is not very helpful, especially in current times when we are confronted with direct threats on a daily up, um, more frequently ever from China. So I think India needs to approach Russia from a pure national interest, national security perspective, than get carried away by what Russia has done in the past. Given these Indian views of Russia, it seems like right now there probably is not much concern in India that in the event of a China-India conflict, Russia would side with China. Yeah, in recent conflicts, both during Doklam as well as Galvan, again, this has been something remarkable, again, something that India does not seem to be wanting to acknowledge uh, at least Indian establishment, because in both cases, China, Russia did not want to take sides, wanted to, um, I, I, like I said, I, I understand the Russian pressure to do that uh, because it wants China to be its best friend, best partner, and so on and so forth in the face of increasing isolation from the West. But the fact is that Russia has taken positions not in support of India, and I think India has to be mindful of that and plan its defense capability acquisition and other uh, national security-related decisions accordingly. Given that we are still continuing to buy more and more, India has, well, I, I have to admit that India has made important shifts in its defense procurement policy. It has made diverse, it has made diversifications in its uh, defense trade partners. The U.S., for instance, became the largest defense trade partner for a couple of years in a row, I think a year ago. Uh, for two years in a row, they were, uh, the U.S. was the largest trade partner on the defense trade front. And because we were procuring large big ticket items from the U.S., similarly, Europe, uh, French and also countries like Israel have become important defense trade partners. But the fact that India continued to rely on Russia for 
something to the tune of 70% of the Indian defense inventory. There is still a large size uh, Russian, disproportionately large uh, Russian size uh, in the Indian, Indian defense inventory. And that is not something that I'm seeing India moving away completely because even during Putin's visit, we have signed more deals um, to buy more, uh, procure more defense items from, from Russia. So that is something that is still continuing despite the fact that there are possibly CATSA-related sanctions, CATSA sanctions that can apply to India. Uh, those sanctions, the fear of those sanctions have not really made a much of a difference in terms of Indian decision on S-400s or other defense items that India is still procuring. S-400, there was some amount of justification to say that, okay, this is the best air defense mechanism that is available in the market. And therefore, what India needs is its overall capacity development. So it is okay if India still buys this S-400 from from Russia, but it's because it's going to be overall building up India's capability. But to continue procuring other uh, capability, other platforms, other defense items, uh, it's not entirely clear that it is going to serve India's interest in the long term. Thank you, Raji. Let me wrap up this podcast with one final question on China and India. Overall, what is your assessment of the potential for conflict between India and China? Do you think there's any potential that conflict between China and India could be caused by tensions not on the China-India border? So, for example, China being drawn into an India-Pakistan conflict. Um, So the overall potential for conflict between India and China is somewhat uncertain. Primarily, this is because what is driving the Chinese calculations there is no really good understanding of the Chinese calculations, Chinese motives to open multiple fronts, for instance, whether it is vis-a-vis India or the maritime incursions against uh, Southeast Asian countries, Indonesia, Malaysia, Vietnam, Philippines, or the kind of activities on the Taiwan front. So in a sense, it is unclear what is driving China to engage in what it's currently doing. And therefore, I would say the overall potential is somewhat uncertain. But there have been reports that have suggested that Chinese military has, PLA has significant autonomy in doing, undertaking these military operations, and therefore not sure that these are operations done with the sanctioning of Beijing, or are they merely local actions? So if the PLA were to have that kind of a sizable autonomy, then anything can happen at any point of time. And given that we haven't resolved the Galvan clash, but going into the future, how things may, might pan out, I would think that there would be a significant increase in the size of the Indian military forces on the border from now onwards. Even if the Galvan clash is resolved, uh, the conflict is resolved, I think the number of forces on the border is going to be significantly high. And I, w- I would assume that would be the case on the Chinese side as well, at least to some extent, maybe not during the winters, they might uh, go back, but uh, I don't think the Indian side would take chance and get its troops back on the away from the border areas, despite harsh winters and so on and so forth. And having large sizes of uh, forces on the border on an eyeball-to-eyeball kind of a, a situation is always risky. The possibilities of sort of any accident that might happen, but the bigger problem is if the PLA has that kind of an autonomy, then I think the possibilities of a conflict is somewhat higher in a sense. The aspect about the uh, China being dragged into an India-Pakistan uh, conflict, I would say it is somewhat unlikely. There are scenarios, of course, one can look at where 
Uh, that could also happen because of the China-Pakistan economic corridor, for instance, uh, because the, there are PLA forces along the entire CPEC route and so on and so forth. And that might lead to a situation where China might want to get involved in an India-Pakistan conflict. But there is a, a more likely scenario is Pakistan getting into an India-China war. For instance, in, uh, there's an ongoing, if there's an ongoing conflict between India and China, and Pakistan could start a full-fledged operation in Jammu and Kashmir, making India confront what it has been always looking at, the two-front war, for instance. Uh, the talk of a two-front war for India has been for more than a um, decade now, 2010. The Indian leaders really seriously talked about that India should be prepared for a two-front war scenario. So even, and I would say, even though there we have, like I said, we have two separate armies for the China, for the China and Pakistan front, but uh, if, if India were to fight and actually uh, engage in a two-front war scenario, it would mean diverting forces from one side to the other. And that, that's a distraction I'm sure that India may not be very comfortable with. The more likely scenario for me is that when India is embroiled in the conflict with China, that Pakistan would start another major front on the Kashmir side. And I think that is going to be a very hard, difficult um, scenario for India, given that its forces are going to be thinned out on both fronts. So that is going to put India at a significant risk. We will fight, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be a hard one for India to manage the forces in a in a manner that is that India can deal with both fronts in an effective manner. Thank you very much, Raji, for joining us today. This was an excellent discussion of India's views on China.